Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Fillet of a fanny snake in the cauldron, boil and bake. Eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog. Adder's fork and blind worm's sting, lizard's leg and howl its wing. For a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth, boil and bubble. Double, double toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Cool it with a baboon's blood, then the charm is firm and good. <laughs> that poem from Macbeth, The Song of the Witches, was in my head when I entered the offices of Alice and the Magician in Burlington, Vermont. The place has an industrial brick-and-mortar look, which is good because it's an industrial business. But then again, it isn't. I could hear the faint sounds of clinking glassware in the background like a chemistry lab, and the place smelled really good, but exotic somehow. Over the course of five minutes while I waited for my interview guests to arrive, a whole range of smells drifted through the air. Leather, fresh-cut hay, tangerine, mushrooms, something kind of minty, cilantro, and quite a few smells that I recognized but didn't. Alice and the Magician is an interesting name for a company. The name is twofold. So the Alice part comes from the part in Alice in Wonderland when she finds a little tiny bottle that says, drink me. When she does, she changes shapes and sizes and is able to enter this completely new, mysterious, fantastical world. And that effect is what we believe uh, flavor and food and drinks can do for people. Uh, And then the magician part of it is our obsession with magic and science and alchemy and the idea that you can have something that seems and tastes like one thing and then poof, it's completely different. And so no actual magic, just the magic of science and aroma. That's Aaron Wisniewski. He and his brother Sam founded Alice and the Magician. And their product? We're a flavor and fragrance company. So we make a lot of things that have to do with what people taste, what people drink, what they smell. So everything from, you know, flavors for food and beverage companies to fragrances for cosmetic and body care companies to experimental art installations. But what we're most famous for is our cocktail aromatic. We have a line of cocktail aromatics, both ones that are misted on drinks and ones that are dropped into drinks that completely enhance and transform the flavor through the art and science of aroma. My mind drifted back to the witches of Macbeth for a moment. Products that are misted onto or dripped into cocktails. Double, double, toil and trouble. Fire burn and cauldron bubble. One of the oldest garnishes in the cocktail world is a twist, a twist of lemon. And the reason that people use a twist of lemon is after you twist the rind, it releases some of the oils. Um, And the aroma of those oils reaches your nose, and that transforms and enhances the flavor. Now, almost everything we do is predicated on the one scientific fact that 90%, give or take, of your perception of flavor comes from your sense of smell and not your sense of taste. So that lemon twist can be a pretty powerful thing. Unfortunately, 
it's not that complex. We want it to go much deeper and really tap into the memory and emotion part of your brain, um, which is the only one connected directly to your sense of smell. So our cocktail aromatics are sometimes single ingredients, but usually a number of different ingredients blended together to enhance the flavor, but also to to elicit a sense of a, like a time and a place rather than just an ingredient. And to add one more thing about you know, a lemon or an orange or a grapefruit, anything like that, there's no such thing as the smell of lemon or the smell of orange. It's actually hundreds and hundreds uh, of different aroma molecules that work together like a symphony orchestra. And just like a symphony orchestra, if any of those instruments are missing or one is out of tune um, or they're played out of succession, then it's going to sound different at the least and awful at the, at the, you know, at the most. And so it's really important for us not to do anything that is similar to a lemon or like a lemon. It's exactly the same as a lemon, the full spectrum. And that really, really sends a, a very different and strong message to the memory and emotion part of your brain. If you're a regular listener, you know that I go out of my way to find people who do unusual, interesting jobs, people I describe as having had nonlinear careers. Well, Aaron and Sam certainly qualify. I asked how they got started doing what is, by anyone's measure, an unusual business. My background before this was as a chef, a bartender, mixologist, and a sommelier. I went to culinary school, and in culinary school, I became absolutely obsessed with the science of food. And that's how I looked at creating recipes, cooking dishes, creating drinks, looked at wine, is if you can understand what's happening on a basic molecular and chemical level, then you have an extremely powerful command over the things that you're cooking or mixing. And because a kitchen is essentially a laboratory, everything that you might hear about or read about or learn outside the kitchen, you can do those experiments and you can apply that knowledge immediately. In fact, most chefs have to apply that knowledge at least 12 hours a day. So I was always obsessed with uh, creating this flavor from a kind of chemical molecular standpoint and knowing that one piece of information, that 90% of flavor comes from smell. For me, cooking was overwhelmingly about the discovery, the creation, and the preservation of aroma. And one of the things that I noticed very specifically with grapefruit, grapefruit is one of my favorite smells, was always one of my favorite smells. But when you first slice into a fresh grapefruit, you get this one second burst. It's really like intense ethereal burst of pure grapefruitness, and then it's gone. And the reason it's gone so quickly is because all those little grapefruit molecules are tiny and light and they evaporate almost instantly. So if I'm cutting grapefruit at nine in the morning that I'm gonna be you know, putting on a plate or a drink at nine at night, I get to experience that amazing one second, but the guest doesn't. So my question, my, my challenge was how do I capture and bottle that one second and then control when the guest gets to experience it? So it took a lot of time, um, a lot of research. I was just absolutely devouring food science books, um, chemistry books, um, like molecular gastronomy, which was a popular term at the time, but we kind of really don't like to bring up now. But And then I kind of hit a personal wall there and got really uh, obsessed with the creation of perfume, both the, the history, the culture, the art, and the science around creating perfumes. And so I, I took everything I knew from the culinary world, the food science world, and the perfume world, and combine them together to create these aromatic mists that I call cocktail aromatics. 
Aaron and Sam create these aromatics from a wide variety of source materials. In the early days of the business, they often made collecting trips into the woods or grasslands. They don't do that so much anymore, as you'll hear in a moment. But first, I wanted to know how they match product to customer and what a typical day in the business is like. Well, there's definitely no typical day, I would say. Because we do a lot of things, because we're a small company, because we're really creatively driven, there is not the nine-to-five mentality. You know, there is definitely the, the, the kind of nuts and bolts of the business, which is people order online or bars and chefs order directly from us. Um, we fulfill those orders um, and ship them out. But we also really try to be actively involved with the chef's menus and the bartender's menus. So instead of just ordering a, pr- a product from us, they call with a question and then we either pick one of our existing aromatics that would fit that dish or that drink, or we tailor something specifically for that. Like, I'll give you an example. We recently did a really interesting piece with Seven Days where the journalist picked three distinct memories she had. Just a quick side note, Seven Days is a local newspaper in Burlington, Vermont, where Alice and the Magician is based. And we teased out the sense involved in those memories then built a cocktail around that. So one of the ones was called Dirt Farmer. So it was the smell of uh, gardening, you know, in Vermont in August. You know, you really smell the, the worms and the dirt and the fresh basil and the cut grass and tomato leaf. And so that on a cucumber, gin, and tomato-based cocktail was like the perfect, yeah. So you're going to smell some of that, that Dirt Farmer in a minute. We're putting, to, you know, putting some together for you because that's going to be, that's going to really hit home with you, I think. So, you know, there's definitely that aspect of the business. We do events. So there's, you know, working with our event clients and coordinating those, working with our contract clients, you know, whether it's a beverage company or food company, there's constant iterations. You know, we start from either a very simple idea like lemon and rosemary or something really abstract like a, a, you know, a, a sunny day in Venice. And we just continue to iterate different versions of that until it really strikes a chord with our clients. I asked Sam to expand on Aaron's observations, especially with regard to the response they look for from their customers. We don't go out as often anymore to track down every single individual ingredient. We source our ingredients from all over the world to be the best to what they are, have them shipped to us, and then a lot of what we do here is just exploring these different uh, aromatics and combining them in different ways to create these very specific moments and emotions. And a lot of times that's very successful from the beginning. And sometimes it's doesn't work quite the way we hope from right off, but it's really all about like sort of really experimenting and thinking about all of the sense that we're looking for in a really analytical fashion, and then trying to create something and seeing if it resonates in a very emotional fashion. As it happens, the process of creating a new aromatic product is more complicated than doing what the witches from Macbeth are doing. It's a multi-stage process. It's, I would say it's three parts, really. So the actual, like, the kind of creative, thoughtful process aside, where we go, what should we make today? It's sourcing the ingredients, extracting the ingredients, and then blending the ingredients. Now, the extraction part is the black box part. That is a um, unique method of extraction that I can't get too into detail about. But the sourcing... I love to talk about because, um, like Sam mentioned, we source for quality. That's the number one thing. And quality is usually something that we assess just by smelling, just our organoleptic um, 
you know, interpretation. And it usually has to do with highest amount of uh, VOCs, volatile organic compounds in them. Makes them more complex. They have more depth. So once we've sourced what we think is the best, you know, like we really love this cilantro that we get from Egypt. We love the limes that we get from Mexico, but we also like some from Sri Lanka. They, we get rosemary from six different countries and for you know, each different country dramatically different and we use it for different purposes. We even select for different what's called chemotypes, which are how uh, certain characteristics of plants will uh, manifest itself based on different, uh, you know, geographic and weather conditions, which is pretty fascinating to be able to do that. It's like wine. So after we've sourced it, they go through this extraction process. And the reason it's unique is because it doesn't use heat or chemicals or moisture, which are the exact enemies. Those are the things that can damage that really delicate symphony orchestra. And it's critical that that, that orchestra is completely intact to get that, that strong emotional reaction. So once we have, we can call them essences or ex extracts or whatever you want to call them, then we hand blend those together in organic grain spirit, just like making perfume. One of the things I was also curious about was the extent to which serendipity plays a role in the development of new aromatic products. There's a lot of science and theory behind it. There's also a lot of guesswork, too. Whether we're making something gross or macing ourselves or who knows what, but a lot of the best discoveries have either happened by accident or after a lot of trial and error. Because someone comes to us and is like, I am making a cocktail based on this town in southern Italy. That's not like, hey, can you make lemon again? It's a really like specific. And so then it's like, all right, let's research this town. Like, what are the smells there? I'm not going to just go buy a postcard. Like, what's the local flora and fauna? What's the weather like? You know, what's the what's the precipitation? What's the elevation? What's the sea compass? You know, like, so we really try to like create aromatics that. So that's a lot of fun. It's at least as fun, you know, as our own inspirations that come sometimes frequently, sometimes uh, sporadically. Before we started the interview, I was chatting with Sam, and he used a phrase that I found interesting, the scent landscape. I asked him to expand on that. Our first product and our sort of consumer-facing product and what we spend a lot of time doing is our aromatic line, which is our cocktail aromatics, um, including the mists and the flavor elixirs. And that's kind of what we started with and what we sell the most of. But we also are a full-service flavor and fragrance company which means we do uh, a combination of everything from uh, helping people for consultations and designing scents for soap, all the way to actually scent branding and scent landscaping, which is designing scents for a room that can elicit a certain emotional reaction or uh, sort of create an environment that is pleasant to be in or really can bring people into a specific uh, mentality. You know, when you think of an architect as designing a physical space and they take into account light, texture, ceiling height, windows, airflow, ingress, egress to create a physical space that you move through. And there's a number of factors that go into that. But one thing that architect usually doesn't do is the scent. And scent can be as powerful a mechanic in a physical space. So scent landscaping is creating different areas and pockets and flows of scent that are almost like objects that elicit emotional reactions. I was anxious to experience what Aaron and Sam had been talking about. So when Aaron produced a tightly capped glass bottle full of what appeared to be air, I was intrigued. He removed the cap, whisked the open bottle through the air to mix the volatile oils, and held it under my nose. 
This is Dirt Farmer. Oh my God. Like warm, fresh dirt and tomatoes and cilantro and herbs. Uh, I, I get cilantro, grass. yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That was seriously mm -hmm. awesome. As far as how usable it is in cocktails, it doesn't. it's not as versatile as a lot of the other ones. Maybe not, but it hit me hard. My reaction was elemental. That's the only way I can describe it. It really was an olfactory symphony, a crash of smells. It was absolutely amazing. As we got close to the end of the interview, I asked them what was next for Alice and the Magician. We have some really cool stuff in the mix that we can't talk about and some cool things in the mix that we can. We started really focused on cocktail aromatics. You know, we were traveling around the world to find these exotic ingredients, kind of extract them and bottle them and present them as a way to enhance aromatics for cocktails. That really expanded into not just cocktails, but all beverages. And it also expanded beyond just the, the consumer products that we've developed to people going, hey, can you design my beverage or can you design a scent for me? And so our kind of custom and contract development side of the business has expanded from just a little bit to the primary thing that we're doing right now. So we develop flavors and product like from the ground up for a number of different types of beverage companies from CBD and functional beverages to ciders and alcohol and all these different things. And it's been so cool to work with these really creative producers and kind of the thing that's missing for them as a flavor expert. So we can, you know, go to grocery stores and look at all the shelves and say, oh, you know, we designed that beverage, we designed that beverage, we designed that beverage. So that's been excellent. And a lot of companies or brands that are either starting out or on the smaller side, they don't really have the ability to hire like a big multinational flavor company. So they work with us because we're small and funky and creative also. So it, there's a lot of synergy that comes out of that. So from a business perspective, we've kind of expanded over the last few years, really focusing on contract flavor development for other brands. And also in that process, we really started longing for our own beverage, right? You know, doing this creative process with other people for other people, we've really been like, oh, you know, what's the thing that we really want to exist in the world? What do we, what beverage do we want to see out there? Um, and that was fortified with our expansion beyond alcoholic beverages, right? You know, not just cocktails, but kind of all beverages and seeing this trend of people drinking less, you know, and being able to have the kind of flavor experience, social experience that you get at, at bars or over drinks, but not necessarily needing to include alcohol in that. And a trend personally for me and for us as a team, you're just out there in the world trending towards more self-care, more wellness. How can I you know, optimize my brain and my body? How can I like find things that I really look forward to getting up early for? And so that inspired us recently to launch our own non-alcoholic beverage too, that uh, we're really excited about the flavor, um, the function and the culture. And those are the kind of the three lenses that we've been looking at things through over the past few years is anytime we develop product for ourselves, product for someone else or this drink, it's flavor, function, and culture. 
Aroma really is the soul of flavor, right? 95% of what we eat and drink is really about smell and not as much about taste. And so mixologists and cocktail enthusiasts and chefs who kind of really understand how important aroma is and how to, to kind of manipulate it to create the perfect drink. Like the bartenders and mixologists, they, they really understood that. So they were a great place to start. But as people kind of drank less or drank less often or were more interested in expanding outside kind of cocktails or what you drink at night in bars and restaurants, it really opened the door for us to, to take that same philosophy of aroma is the soul of flavor. It enhances what you're drinking and expand it way past the cocktail. And so whether you're drinking seltzer, whether you're drinking soda, whether you're drinking juice, the same principles apply. It's going to be much more delicious um, and much more memorable if you introduce aroma into the equation. People are making different decisions about when they consume alcohol, how much they consume, and there have been this explosion of great alcohol alternatives on the market, which not only gives people more choices um, when they want to pick the healthy option, but also a lot of the kind of social stigma around drinking less or no alcohol has really changed. Now, people see a non-alcoholic drink in your hand at night and they go, that's what I should probably be doing too. Or they look at them and go, they're probably getting up early to go surfing or go to spin class. And so there's been this cultural shift about what people want to do to take care of their bodies and the options to be able to do that, whether it's drinks on the shelf or um, mocktails on menus um, or just the kind of the zeitgeist in the culture right now is, is really going in that direction. And without any sort of judgment on alcohol, we see especially younger generations, Gen Z, where they're equating tobacco and alcohol in similar compartments to them. So the same way that tobacco use has really, really dropped off a lot and, and culturally it doesn't have the same place. We see a little of that trend happening in a lot of the younger consumers. When you take alcohol out of the equation, alcohol has the kind of biological, psychological and social function. When you take that out, what you're left with is you can still have the psychological and the social function, but the flavor falls flat. So we've been flavor experts for quite some time, and we can kind of recreate the deliciousness and craveability and complexity that you get from alcohol drinks without needing to go, it's just like alcohol, you know, it's just like a beer, it's just like a wine, you know. So we're really trying to create a new category where it isn't like a tourist visa to alcoholic culture. It's its own culture that is just as valid as the alcohol consumption culture too, and that they can coexist right alongside each other harmoniously rather than kind of being at conflict where it's like in the past, it's like you either get up early to work out or you go out at night to drink. You, you take the social part out of it for a moment, just having options increases the selection of those options. So getting more options out there is one thing. And then just changing the conversation, like you just mentioned, about what it means to drink less or, or not at all. Or The phrase we've been using is enjoy the night, look forward to the morning, right? You can, you can have it all. And the non-alcoholic beverage we just released has all these like delicious aromatic flavors, but also has deep sea minerals, so it hydrates you. So it kind of does the opposite of alcohol from a biological perspective. And so you actually, you get to really partake in the, the social 
ritual and the belonging and you get the sophistication of the the flavor on your palate um but you're actually like, doing something good for your body rather than depleting it so you kind of like check all the boxes um do you want to try it of course i wanted to try it so Lindsay opened a small refrigerator and twisted a can off of a four pack she handed it to me i popped the top and drank deeply the flavor wasn't like anything I'd ever had before. It was slightly sweet, lightly carbonated, exotic. It wasn't a soft drink. Aaron told me that the main ingredient is a Caribbean fruit called Genep. Oddly, the taste made me think of lapis lazuli, that deep blue mineral that's used in a lot of jewelry. It has a bunch of different names. It grows all over the Caribbean. And I fell in love with this fruit for two reasons. One. The flavor is just so delicious and aromatic. It's kind of like a cross between a, a lychee, a lime, maybe some sort of like green melon. It's really inspired by that liminal space between earth and water. And there's deep sea minerals in there to really kind of hydrate you and connect you to the, to the water. And then the fruit itself is this like bright green color. Sometimes it's called Spanish lime. But then when you pop it open, actually inside, it looks and tastes more like a lychee. And so when I think of the colors and the textures and the sounds associated with it, it's a lot of similar ones to you just described. And, and really the, the ethereal thing that's in the air that we wanted to pull out of the air and touch on is this desire that, especially after the pandemic, all of us have to access this freedom and purity and natural beauty that you find in these ocean expanses shutting up against wild nature. It was clear to me that Alice and the Magician were looking to do more than just add another drink to what's already a crowded shelf. And as Aaron explained, that's exactly what they want to do. Drinks are kind of like hourglasses, right? If you and I go to a yoga class, we finish our yoga class, and I'm like, hey, do you want to have a conversation for 15 minutes? You're like, well, that's a really weird way to ask it, right? I guess so, maybe. But if I'm like, do you want to grab a drink? It sets the hourglass timer where you and I are connecting for the duration of that drink. If it's going really well, we say we want to have another drink and we can kind of extend it. And so to be able to place this drink at these kind of moments and locations where people are doing something difficult or interesting or productive and they want to connect with each other after. So it's really about that moment after you've completed the thing to connect. So if we can be there, whatever that means, that's a good way to, to spread the message. I asked Sam if he had any final thoughts, but before he could respond, Aaron asked if he could add one more thing. One of the things that I haven't mentioned yet, and I'm not just saying this because they're here right now, is but I've stepped largely away from day-to-day -day operations here. And so really when we're talking about like the DNA of, of Alice and the Magician and what we're able to, to do, it's really Lindsay and Cena who are responsible for like the culture and the energy and the results of what Alice the Magician is right now. And I, you know, I was kind of like as a entrepreneur, nervous about taking that distance away from this thing that I had built, not for because I didn't have faith in them, but just to be like, oh, this is such an important part of my identity for so long. And you know what? It still is, and it's better because I've stepped away. So I think that 
to really give them credit for turning Alice and Magician into what it is, which is kind of like a dream come true, I want them to know that it's because of them that this that we are where we are now. We've been able to to do something that I think is not only really fun and creative and cool, but like you said, really well timed to make a difference for people in a positive way. So, back to Sam. Our sense of smell is so powerful and so fascinating. And people just don't pay attention to it. And I don't want people to pay attention to it to sell more products. I think people's lives will be enriched. If they pay more attention to what they're smelling, they'll be happier. And by paying attention to what you're smelling, you're also paying attention to what you're putting in your mouth, what you're eating and what you're drinking. And you'll be eating and drinking more things if you pay attention to their smell and realize the difference between the smell of flowers when you walk outside and the smell of potpourri in the public bathroom, you know, because they're such dramatically different worlds. That's a kind of basic Buddhist thing is like to be mindful. By noticing smell, you're really centering yourself too. So it can be just an excellent exercise for a number of different reasons. Mostly what we're about is pleasure. You'll just have more fun and be happier. Alice and the Magician. Thank you, Aaron and Sam Wisniewski, for taking us on a tour of your world. I wish I had the ability to digitize smells so that I could share them with you, but we're not there yet. The next best thing, go to aliceandthemagician.com and wander around the website. Then, place an order for one of their bottles of aromatic magic. Whether you use it for cocktails, cooking, or just a spray in the air, you'll be glad you did. And on that note, I leave you once again with the Witches of Macbeth. I want to thank Bob Verlack, my oldest friend, for lending his voice to the Song of the Witches. Bob, I know you make your living as an actor in movies and on television, but your voice is a blessing. Thank you. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble, fillet of a fenny snake in the cauldron boil and bake, Eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blind worm's sting, lizard's leg and howlet's wing, for a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth, boil and bubble, double, double toil and trouble. Fire burn and cauldron bubble, cool it with a baboon's blood, then the charm is firm and good. <laughs> hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.